Hi, my name is Scott, and I struggle with anxiety, or at least I used to. Um, the truth is, I really don't that much these days, but there is an entire chapter, I guess I would say, of my life that, that I would consider to have been ruined by debilitating anxiety. I used to have so much anxiety, I, I basically couldn't do anything. I couldn't do any normal person things like drive my car, make phone calls, leave the house, go to school, go to work, talk to people. All of these things freaked me out so badly that I felt like I was going to die if I tried to do any of them. And so I mostly didn't. I mostly stayed home, stayed in my room and played video games. And for a big chunk of my life, that is really legitimately all I felt able to do. Now, at this point in my life, I think I've really come like full circle with anxiety because I do things pretty regularly now that I think would freak most people out, even people who don't have anxiety. You know, I do things like go on live TV or open my own business or tell hundreds of thousands of people on the internet that I used to have debilitating anxiety. I just, I don't necessarily think a lot of people would be up for those things. So I feel like it, the course of my life really is my most important credential, way more important than you know my degrees or my work experience in terms of why I hope you'll consider uh, listening to me today and maybe even applying some of my strategies into your own life. For me, I realized that a lot of my anxiety was actually caused by things that I was doing, not directly and certainly not intentionally, but I was unknowingly sustaining or even exacerbating my own anxiety with habits that I was in, really, and routines that I was in. And once I was able to identify and dismantle those routines, there essentially was nothing supporting my anxiety. I kind of pulled the rug out from underneath of it, and it had nothing left to, to support it, and it collapsed, essentially. So I'm going to tell you the six most important things that I stopped doing to better manage my anxiety. And the first one is avoiding, meaning I stopped avoiding. Now, this one is tricky, I know, because this is what anxiety tells us to do. Anxiety tells us to avoid. Anxiety tells us that'll be terrible. You don't have the skills to handle it. Everyone's going to hate you. You're going to fail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? And you don't want to just throw yourself head first into anxiety provoking situations necessarily. But I think of it as a lot like stretching, you know, like if you're doing calisthenics, if you start to stretch, and the second you feel any physical discomfort, you don't progress in that movement, you will not make any progress on your flexibility. Because the progress that you make on your physical flexibility comes from entering that discomfort zone, right? The zone where you start to feel my body's in a position that it doesn't find itself in very often. And that's loosening and stretching my muscles and my tendons and things like that. Your brain works the same way. It gets tight and tense because you don't go into situations that challenge it. And the only way you can kind of loosen your brain up, because that's kind of what anxiety feels like, right? People say, loosen up. Okay, well, how do you do that? You stretch your comfort zone. In other words, you have to, at least occasionally, put yourself in situations where it is possible for the script that your anxiety is telling you, that running voice of, you know, it's all going to fall apart. 
it has to be in such you have to be in situations where it could be wrong. If you listen to your anxiety and every time your anxiety tells you something bad's going to happen, you don't go and do that thing, then it is literally impossible for your anxiety to be wrong because you are not in situations where it is challenged and it will always end up being right. At least that will be the message that you hear in your mind when you think back on the things you didn't do. It's good that I didn't do them because you never had an opportunity to be wrong about the script your anxiety was telling you. So the only way you're ever going to break out of that comfort zone and expand your mental flexibility in terms of what you'll do and where you'll go and what you're comfortable with is by stretching, by stretching out of your comfort zone and into that next level. If you avoid the things that make you anxious, you will never become less anxious about those things. It's impossible. You can't do it just by thinking about it. You have to actually go do those things. The second thing I stopped doing to lower my anxiety level is I, you guys are going to be mad. Some of you are going to be mad, but remember, I'm not the boss of your life. These are just ideas. Take what you will from them, okay? The second thing I stopped doing is I stopped giving myself unlimited access to stimulants. And I don't necessarily mean like street drugs. I mean like coffee and energy drinks and pre-workouts and Mountain Dew because caffeine is the most commonly used stimulant for people, right? Stimulants and anxiety are not necessarily the best of friends, okay? Stimulants increase brain activity. They make more happen and they make it happen more quickly in your brain, but they do it in a very non-discriminatory fashion, right? And so stimulant use essentially makes your brain think quicker and generate more thoughts. It doesn't necessarily make the thoughts that your brain is generating any better um, or healthier or less anxiety provoking than they otherwise would be. In other words, stimulants just supercharge what your brain is already doing. So if your brain by default on its own produces a lot of really anxiety provoking thoughts and you drink three espressos, you've probably just doubled the amount of anxiety provoking thoughts you're going to experience that day. You just gave your anxious mind all the fuel that it needs to supercharge its ability to create all the doomsday scenarios that it was going to create anyway. Am I saying people with anxiety should not ever drink any caffeine? Maybe. You thought I was going to say no, didn't you? I, I'm not going to look again. I'm not the boss of your life. I'm not going to say you could never have another cup of coffee for as long as you live, but like maybe think about experimenting with it because you just might find that at least significantly reducing it, if not removing it entirely, dramatically reduces the frequency and the intensity of your anxious thoughts. And if it does that, you have a little bit of a cost benefit analysis to engage in at that point, because is what it gives you, you know, the, the focus and, and the energy and the motivation, is that worth the cost of the added anxiety. For some people, it might not be. I ended up deciding I fell somewhere in the middle, but on the low end, where I'll typically have one caffeinated beverage a day, very occasionally two. I don't remember the last time I had more than two. And it has had a profound effect on my anxiety, a profound improvement, I should say. The third thing that I stopped doing to better manage my anxiety is nothing. Now, this isn't some annoying therapist riddle where you have to figure out like, oh, what's the nothing? No, I mean it literally, I stopped doing nothing because I spent so much of my time when I was anxious 
doing nothing. And here's what I learned from that time. My brain, and I assume everybody else's brain too. I always, I always assume my brain works like most people's, which like might be a dangerous assumption because I'm kind of a strange person, but my brain essentially uses any unoccupied part of itself to generate anxiety. It's so if I'm not really doing anything or if I'm doing something that isn't very engaging or isn't very stimulating, I have a lot of leftover thoughts, right? Like a lot of mental energy that is not being used by the task at hand. And I've learned that my brain will take all that extra and basically extrapolate every possible worst case scenario for everything that's happening in my life right now. So that like, this is going to sound like I'm being ridiculous, but I'm not. That part of my brain, if it's not stimulated, will be like, how are you going to go broke? How are your kids going to die? What life-threatening illness are you going to get? When are you going to get into the car, like car accident, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It, it just, it never shuts up unless I keep it busy. If I keep it busy, it will do the thing I'm telling it to do. It's a little bit like, so I am a parent now, but it's a little bit like having a kid or having multiple kids, because as you know, kids kind of have like a finite activity level during the day, right? And it's usually a pretty high activity level and you can't stop them from having that activity level. They are children and they just have it. But what you can do is you can direct their energy. If you give them fun and exciting and engaging things to do, they will probably do those things. If you don't give them anything to do, that's when you end up finding that they've like made their own little Van Gogh drawing on your wall in permanent marker because they needed something to keep them occupied and you didn't give them anything. So they made their own thing. And when they make their own thing, it may not be something you want them to do. Treat your anxious mind kind of that same way. Treat it like a kid with a lot of energy. It's going to have a lot going on, but you can direct it. And if you can keep it occupied, especially if you can keep it occupied with things that are beneficial or meaningful to you, but really even just anything, an unoccupied mind is a catastrophic mind. That's where so many of your catastrophic thoughts are going to come from is boredom and understimulation and just a lack of a place to direct your mental energy. So try to give yourself projects, hobbies, tasks, whatever it takes to keep your mind occupied so it doesn't have time to just sit around and ruminate about all the worst doomsday scenarios it can come up with because it will, or at least mine did. The fourth one is a secret. I'm going to tell you in like a minute, but I just want to play a little game with you first. I'm going to read off a few symptoms from my phone here. By the way, I don't have the iPhone 8 anymore. So <laughs> thanks for encouraging me to upgrade. So those of you who made fun of me, um, tell me what you think is wrong with this person. I'm going to read off some symptoms. Okay. And, and you tell me what you think is going on here. This person is experiencing shaking, sweating, nausea, anxiety, irritability, fatigue, rapid heart rate and dizziness. What do you think is wrong with that person? Sounds a lot like anxiety, doesn't it? Or, or maybe even a panic attack. What I just read to you were the symptoms of hypoglycemia or low blood sugar. In other words, that's what happens to you if you go too long without eating. Now, those are literally all also symptoms of anxiety. So if you have, if you have anxiety anyway, you throw a hypoglycemic episode on top of your anxiety that already exists. Now you have like double anxiety and you do not want that. 
So the fourth thing that I stopped doing to better manage my anxiety is I stopped eating like crap and I stopped skipping meals. I started to take my nutrition very seriously. And I eat three, like, I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm some health nut because I'm totally not. Like I eat fast food and pizza all the time, but there's actually nothing wrong with that. Um, but I stopped skipping meals and I stopped eating meals that were like just carbohydrates. Like I wouldn't eat a bag of chips and call it a meal. I mean, I, I would previously. And that's the point is that wasn't good for me. Um, because that's all carbohydrates and carbohydrates don't actually nourish your brain very long. They spike and then drop your blood sugar rapidly. So I eat three full meals a day. I mean, full meals, just meaning they have proteins, carbohydrates, and dietary fats in them. And I typically have one or two, sometimes even three snacks, like in between or around those meals. So that I never hit those low blood sugar crashes that are going to make me feel anxious, even if I'm not, or add to any anxiety I might already be feeling. And those of you who have watched some of my other videos might say, hey, he's just saying this thing again, because he also said that he stopped skipping meals in his six things I stopped doing to better recover from depression video. And you're right. And you know why? Because it's that important, you guys, because the full calories is actually an abbreviation. The full term is caloric energy. It's literally brain fuel. That's, that's what food is. Food is brain fuel. And if you skip meals or, or restrict, just eat really tiny meals or eat meals that are mostly just carbohydrates, your brain will run out of energy. And when it runs out of energy, it's going to preserve, obviously, like keeping your heart beating and keeping your lungs breathing and keeping your limbic system going, because that's your danger sense. So your emotion regulation, your distress tolerance, your social engagement, those are all the things that are going to go out the window. And you're going to be an anxious mess if you don't take care of your nutrition. It's just not optional. It's part of what your brain needs to be healthy and functional. And you just, you just got to take it seriously. There's no way around it. The fifth thing that I stopped doing to better manage my anxiety, I'm gonna be honest with you, this one, A, was the hardest one I did and B, like the first four, I feel like I've got those pretty, I'm not gonna say perfected, but I do those at a high level. This one is, I'm still working on this one. This one is is a, an ongoing growth edge for me. I stopped trying to do everything myself. And that one even like still hurts a little bit to say out loud because to be frank with you guys, I have trust issues and, and not even just like, oh, I think everyone's going to hurt me and betray me. But, you know, I was the guy who like when I was forced into a group project, I would tell everyone to send me their slides or their word documents. And I'd be like, oh, I'll just put it all together for you guys. Cause you know, someone has to like collect all of it and make it one single thing. Then I would go through and edit and like fix and improve all their work. So it didn't look like crap for me. And if any, if anyone who's gone to school with me is listening to this and, and you realize, sorry, I've now just told you that I fixed your crappy work, but that's the kind of person I am. And for a while, like I was able to do everything myself, but the older you get, the busier you get and, and the more spread thin you are. And it just, you will reach, if you're not already there, you will eventually reach a point in your life where you cannot do it all yourself. And I, I still hate that that is true. I like, I, as I say that I cringe because this is how I'm built, but it is true. You, you have to be able to ask for help sometimes you have to be able to delegate sometimes because if you try to do everything yourself there's going to be days when you need a 60 hour day to do it all 
and looking at your to-do list and seeing 40 things on it and saying, I have to do it all myself. No one can help me with any of that. It's not going to be good for your anxiety. There's, there's just no way. This, this is what really sucks about anxiety is anxiety typically also creates really high expectations for ourselves. Like there's a huge overlap between anxiety and perfectionism. And so most people who struggle with anxiety don't like to delegate because their standards are higher than most people's and their anxiety tells them you have to reach the standard or some unspecified or sometimes specified bad thing will happen if you don't. But it also means if you have anxiety, doing all those things is even more stressful for you than it would be for someone else. So you kind of get this double whammy of stress. You're going to have to ask for help sometimes. You're going to have to delegate sometimes. And I'm saying this to myself just as much as I'm saying it to you as someone who is about to open the doors to his new business in a week. I want to do it all myself but I know I can't, or at least I know I shouldn't. Like maybe I could if I got like four hours of sleep a night, but that's also not good for your anxiety. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Ask for help sometimes. Your life will get easier if you do. It, It takes some getting used to, but you can do it. You can. And the sixth and final, not final thing, because I did more than six, but these are like my top six. Because if I really told you all of them, this would be like 90 things that I stopped doing and the video would just be much too long. But the sixth thing that I stopped doing to better manage my anxiety, I'll have to explain this one too, because it might sound weird at first, is I stopped treating myself like an untrustworthy person. What I mean by that, it kind of goes in with number five of, of like trying to do everything myself, but I also used to act like I couldn't trust future me. And I think this is where there's a lot of overlap between depression and anxiety, right? And and we're still trying to figure out exactly how that works and why that is. But I think a big part of it is when you have depression, you often don't do the things that you know you need to do because of anhedonia, low motivation, chronic fatigue, whatever it may be. And you start to view yourself as someone who doesn't do the important things. And if you also have anxiety, what ends up happening is you you end up in this weird space where you're like, I cannot trust my future self to do things. Cause like, what if he gets, ang- what if he gets depressed? What if I have a depressive episode tomorrow, all this stuff on my to-do list, I can't put any of it on, on tomorrow. Instead, I have to do it all today because who knows what kind of shape I'm going to be in tomorrow. But what I eventually realized about that strategy is it, it's treating myself like an untrustworthy person. And, and, for a while I was, is is the thing. Like while I was not managing my mental health very well, I was not somebody I could trust. And so I kind of had to live that way. But it's one of those things where we don't, we don't always recognize change in real time. It can take us a while to realize that something that was true in the past is not true in the current moment. So for a long time, I still treated myself like this person I can't count on, like this person who, you know, at any given time is just going to become some flaky, unreliable guy. And that meant I refused, not only did I refuse to delegate to other people, I refused to delegate to my future self. And every single day, whatever was on my to-do list, I was so rigid about this. I was like, this all has to happen today. I don't know if I'll be able to do it tomorrow. I have gotten to the point with time and with mindfulness and with just paying attention to who I am and how I've changed, that I now trust my future self. And so if I get to, you know, evening and I still have like nine things on my to-do list and I realize there's just no way, at least no healthy way that I'm going to be able to do all this today, I put that in the future. 
And I, I view myself as someone who will eventually do the things that need to be done. I will get to them. That took a lot of conscious recognition on my part, because as I started this video by explaining, there was a time when I really didn't do anything. And so to go from that to saying, you know what, I trust that I'm going to get all the stuff done that really needs to get done eventually. And I don't have to try to do it all today. That's a big change in self-concept. So that one takes some time. That one takes some patience. I guess it takes a lot of mindfulness of just like really asking and answering questions. Am I still that person? Who am I today? What is my most recent data? Show me about who I am. But I very, very strongly believe that people who work on integrating some of these ideas can see massive reductions in their anxiety. I know I certainly have. I mean, like I said, I think I've been on kind of both extreme ends of the spectrum, anxiety wise, you know, going from being like completely dysfunctional to doing things that make most people in my life say like, whoa, you're doing what? That's kind of crazy. And I mean, it, it's, it's real. Like I, it's been my story anyway. It's been my experience that anxiety can be defeated. I truly believe it can. I believe it can be conquered. And it's not because mine was mild because it was not, it was not. So I hope that some of these tools are helpful for you today. Please let me know if you have any questions about them. Please let me know what you think in the comments. And if you're not already subscribed, I would love it if you made the decision to subscribe today. I will see you next time. Take care.